I like it spooky. It's time. It's time. Time for the big giveaway. <laughs> Howdy, y'all! I'm Crazy Cletus. And since Inkmirrors.com is sponsoring the I Like It Spooky 1031 giveaway to celebrate being the 31st show on the, the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. <laughs> Everyone involved is letting me use technology. <laughs> so here goes. Let's pick a winner. How come how come nothing's happening? I did push the button. Well you do it then. Uh, what? Oh, oh that button. Alright, well here we go. And the winner is Congratulations, Brett. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to the I Like It Spooky podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Jason. And I'm Clint. And when I grow up, I want to be an Italian filmmaker. Taller or just older? Those guys grind, man. The, the the director of the movie that we're going to discuss later, I looked it up, and he's got like 199 director credits. So wow. that guy got paid wow. and continues to do what he loves to do. So yeah, when I grow up, I do want to be taller. I wish I was a little bit taller. And uh, yeah, we'll make some Italian horror films. But before that, why don't we get to the news? So uh, Guillermo del Toro is pairing together eight iconic directors to create a show. I don't know. I kind of read this and it's reminds me of like masters of horror, the way they put it together, but it's called Guillermo del Toro's cabinet of curiosities. The maestro of horror presents eight blood curdling tales of horror. This anthology of sinister stories is told by some of the today's most revered horror uh, creators, including the directors of The Babadook, Splice, Mandy, and many more. I wish it would. I don't really know the directors' names. I kind of looked a, cu- a couple of them up, but not names that I really know, but I don't follow the directors like I should, you know, unless they're the huge names. Um, this show's going to drop on Netflix this year, but we don't know what d- the date yet. I'm wondering how, how horror it's going to be because Del Toro. I mean, he, he kind of dwells, he lives more in that like dark fantasy world. Um, and with the name Cabinet of Curiosities, I mean, it has my interest. I want to check it out, but I'm curious, is it's going to be like balls to the wall, horror, scary splatter, or is it going to be, like I say, more like Pan's Labyrinth? and Yeah, more sci-fi fantasy type things. Right, dark crystal or, you know. Yeah, but when I read this, you know, of course I got the, the Masters of Horror type thing or, you know, body bags. That sh- that movie with like different like or creep show esque, but I guess this is going to be a series of eight different stories, which I assume each story is an episode, but I don't know a hundred percent. But I'm excited to check it out when it comes out. Still, 
this is going to be the year of the anthology because you got creep show season four coming out soon also the year of the and i love anthologies so that's right up my alley so we may get like eight different short movies or like hour-long episodes would be cool like not too long but yeah i read this story on ihorror.com if anybody wants to check it out but yeah it doesn't give much info about it yet just kind of little news blurb just explaining quickly what it is and what is coming so people can hate on the director of the babadook because there's a kid screaming the whole episode and they want to smack the shit out of him <laughs> that was like the scariest part of the movie being that kid's parent <laughs> like i don't care what's in the basement this kid oh man and i hated mandy i'm not gonna shit on the director but gosh dang that that movie was not for me no is that the one where his wife gets kidnapped by the oh yeah she gets killed it's all trippy and stuff, and Nicolas Cage goes crazy. Okay, I haven't seen that one, but yeah. There's a good uh, chainsaw fight in it, if I remember right. That was fun, but yeah, kind of an odd movie. They're all, all the movies on the list seem to be that, like, horror, sci-fi, like the Babadook even is kind of not really straight horror slasher. Maybe that's kind of what he went for. He went for people that maybe direct movies like he does. Yeah, just a good mix. It'll be something to check out, though. I mean, well, I'll look at. Shit is out of my wheelhouse. You know, while all this was going on, I was watching Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things for like the 50th time. So, yeah, I don't know. I barely know what the hell you guys are talking about. Never seen The Babadook? No, no. And again, I know of Mandy, but I haven't watched it. Mandy might be up in your wheelhouse. Kind of a revenge-type movie with some weird sci-fi mixture in it. What about you, Clint? You got any news for us? I've got some news, but first... We're going to cue the Monsters music. Okay, uh, as everybody knows, I'm sure everybody knows that Rob Zombie is uh, directing, I think it just finished shooting, I could be wrong, but his version of the Monsters. I'm a huge Monsters fan, and I have been leery about this project since the day I heard of it. Um, but everything that I've seen looks like Rob has refrained from turning it into you know, the, the Firefly, Firefly family. You know, I didn't want to see... <clears throat> Herman Munster swearing and beating his wife and drinking hooch. And I didn't want to see Lily naked dancing. Well, maybe I wanted to see Lily on stage dancing. But anyway, the point to my babbling story is NECA has just announced that at the San Diego Comic-Con, which is going to be July 20th through the 24th, they are going to be offering uh, an action figure of Zombo, which, I mean, if you're a diehard Munsters fan, you know that Zombo was in one episode. He was in episode, what, 22 of the second season of The Monsters. And that's one thing I like about what Rob Zombie's doing with this. It sounds like he's bringing back a lot of these rare characters that were throughout The Monsters that you saw once or two or three times and is going to make them part of, part of the movie. So that's going to be cool for me to see. This action figure, though, I want to get my hands on, but unfortunately it's only going to be available at the San Diego Comic-Con from July 20th to July 24th. And I'm really hoping that they do what they did with The Thing recently at that Comic-Con where they release a few online. If you get on at a certain time, you can buy them. 
because if not, I'm going to wind up paying $2,000 to get this figure. That's just retarded. So, Yeah, no, I would not pay anywhere near that. But hopefully it does come available. Just have to kind of wait and find out. But I'm sure that they'll sell out. Everybody will see the value in them and get you on the back end. Yeah, uh, just the rarity of it. Even if people don't necessarily know the character or care for the film, if you're an action figure collector, you're going to see this and go, ah, this is a rarity. I better grab this, you know, so I can have some worth with it or trade it or, or whatever. Plus it's freaking cool. It's very cool looking too. So yeah. Yeah. Because it, the box is like the cereal box that Zombo had in the, you know, on the show and was it crumbles. That's yeah, it's going to be cool. Now, do you remember Clint? What was Zombo like a TV personality on the show or do you remember what he was? It's like been a-, a while since I've seen it, but uh, it was, he's kind of a cross between like a horror TV host and like Bozo the clown, I believe. You know what I mean? So just a very kind of live, creepy, in-your-face character. I know I've seen the character before, but yeah, I don't remember from the show at all. But hell, it's been years since I've revisited those shows. Just except like the rare one I catch every great once in a while. I almost wonder if we'll get like some of the, hopefully, we'll get some of the old NECA. They'll go back and do like a Herman that's like the old Herman and the old Lily and some of the other stuff where they'll redo those old ones and update them and release the newer ones too. Maybe like a two pack with both Hermans. You you got, you got me all tingly (laughs) in my, my special parts. (laughs) Well, you know, Jason, and I have talked quite a bit that, I mean, these action figure manufacturing companies could make a ton of money. If they could go through it and pick a franchise and just release not even monsters or madmen, just like characters from the movie. Kind of like they, uh, like I've got uh, from Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, I can't remember her name, but she was the character who got turned into the roach towards the end. And I've, I've got an action figure of her. Now, why did they choose her and not anybody else in that film? I don't know. Other than licensing rights. You know, I, I think that's the big holdup. Well, that's probably my favorite kill of the franchise. So maybe it's just one of the ones they the people making those figures thought was cool. She's gonna be at she's gonna be at flashback. I'm gonna get that signed. Yeah. Are you the roach, the cockroach? Yeah, it's the action figure is like her with her arms, where their the uh, roach legs kind of burst out of her arms. Her arms are all meaty to the side. Yeah, well, it's kind of like the NECA's. Well, they don't have the license now, but they used to have the Godzilla license, and they went back and made all of the Godzillas. So yeah, they, I'm sure they could go back, make. I mean, all these old movies or all these, you know, the monsters or, you know, stuff like that. They could remake a lot of that stuff and people would go crazy for it. They would go insane. They exploit, I I shouldn't say this. In my opinion, they exploit their license for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, for um, Alien and Predator. Oh, Gremlins. You know what I mean? Which I actually kind of dig the Gremlins, but still it's just toy after toy after toy. And, you know, I mean, that's cool for people that are that are into that thing. I should knock it, you know, because I'm into my thing. People have their own thing. But it's just all I see is Predator, 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 and all these versions of Predator. And I'm, I haven't even seen the sequel to the Predator. You know what I mean? Do you think it's because they had to pay so much to get those licensing that they're like, we got to put out a lot of toys to make our money back? Uh, it's possible, yeah. I, I don't know. Well, it's kind of like the Mondo with the Return of the Living Dead. It's like, I wonder if they had to pay so much for the licensing or they just sell a lot of the posters. So they they continue to put out posters because they're like, these are selling really well and they move. They sell out every time. Well, so Brian, what do you got going on in the news? So I had a different news story, but we had big news drop 
in the drive-in universe. The Mutant Family, you know I'm a big fan. Joe Bob is coming to Iowa. He's about 45 minutes from me. I already have my front row tickets. Joe Bob. And back row. Yeah, and back row. I'm an idiot. I bought <laughs> Joe Bob, if you're listening, hire more security now. So I'm an idiot. I bought front row. I bought back row tickets because the it looked weird and I was in a hurry. So I went back because Jason called me. He's like, you bought back row, you idiot. So now I have back row and front row. But I'll, I'll figure it out. Joe Bob Briggs is bringing the show How Rednecks Saved Hollywood to the Capitol Theater in Burlington, Iowa. It's Joe Bob's first show in Iowa. He's never been to Iowa before for a show. October 15th at 7 o'clock. Jason and I will be there. Front row. I'll be fanboying out. There's a local restaurant and bar in Burlington called The Psalm that's sponsoring the show. It's about a two-hour show. I've never seen it. I'm excited. I'm going to wear my Joe Bob shirt. I'm sure have a great time. Hang out with a bunch of friends. I have a bunch of friends you know, coming from Ottumwa, and I have friends in Burlington. Jason's coming from the Quad Cities. I have friends coming by, uh, from Minneapolis area. So hopefully we can get the show sold out. I did my part. I bought four tickets. So, so why do you think he's? Why did he choose there? Do you think it sounds like there's a large fan base that are in that area? Do you think that's why? Or my um, buddy Tad, who's on uh, Attack of the Killer podcast, and then he has um, First Time podcast. He is a huge Joe Bob fan, and then the guy that owns the Psalm is a huge Joe Bob fan. So the Psalm sponsored him to come to Burlington. It seems like it's kind of been in the works for a couple of years, but with COVID, it kind of didn't happen. Things lined up right, and he's talked to Joe Bob, and he's coming to Iowa. I already have my tickets. I have a friend that owns a cabin on the river that said I could stay there that night and hang out, and she's not going to charge me anything. Should be a great weekend. And it's the weekend after Halloween of Palooza, so... That'll be two weekends in a row that I'm in Iowa having a good time. You're going to have to take a vacation the week after that just to recoup from all the excitement from back-to-back weekends. Yeah, Yeah, and right before Halloween, too. Yeah, yep. You're going to have to take the month of November off. Actually, that's what I do every year. A lot of it's because I used to run the haunted house. But, um, you know, people take vacations in the summer, and I take like a week in the summer, but I take almost all my vacation. I take two, three weeks at the end of October into November just so I can – sleep sleep and rake the yard but all right well let's get back over to jason for the financial report this week on why we are all so poor we are all just coming back from pennsylvania we've talked about it a lot probably making everybody sick uh, I think I spent the most money on gas <laughs> this weekend. Thank God Brian was there to share it with me. But no, we had a blast. We had a blast. And uh, we got there and I didn't expect to spend as much money as I did. I'd kind of joked about it. But then day one, I went in and just dropped a bunch. Autographs are not cheap anymore. Tony Todd is up to 80 bucks, which was crazy. So I had a I had the soundtrack for 1990 Night of the Living Dead. So I took it and I had Savini sign it and then... Patricia Tallman sign it, Bill Mosley sign it, and then my last one was Tony Todd. I really didn't want to spend that money on that. I mean, I already have Tony Todd, but I was like, oh my God, this thing will not be complete unless I do it. So I got his autograph, had that authenticated there at the show, so that was an extra cost. 
I also picked up one of this display box, like a little shadow box. And you guys have seen it. I'll share it on the socials and let everybody see it. But it's a guy who puts them together. His name is Mike Mash. And he put these display boxes together. And he, like, layers pictures, puts LED lights behind them. They're pretty freaking sweet. So I picked up one of those. It's a nice piece down to my horror den here. That's about it. I don't want to, like, hog the whole thing. Oh, no, hold on. One more. If you don't, I'm going to. So you might as well go ahead. Uh, Clint and I both got the same thing here thank you we bought yeah yeah (laughs) we bought a couple uh creep show creeps from the NECA figures we got a pretty good deal on two of them so I grabbed two of them and Greg Nicotero was there signing and only charging like 20 bucks for a signature so now we each have a signed creep signed by Greg Nicotero um which was pretty freaking awesome and then we're also, my wife and I are big nun fans, and I found a one six scale nun that was distributed through Sideshow that was by Quantum Mechanics Company, but they normally sell for 150 200 bucks. This guy bought them, and he was like just sitting on them forever, and I ended up getting it for 60 bucks, which is way less than they go for, and it's, it's a pretty piece. I love that. All right, that's all I got, though. What about you guys? Uh, wow. I don't even know where to start. I'll start with with the creep show figure because I want to say thank you to Jason because uh, I wasn't even thinking about that. I brought a few of my action figures to get signed. I was there as a vendor with inkbears.com and I was really crunching. I brought a bunch of new designs and a bunch of new candles. And so I was kind of scatterbrained. Um, brought all the kids with us and I rented a U-Haul so there was room for everything. So I wasn't thinking clearly. I didn't bring everything that I should have. And Jason, at one point, there was a vendor set up next to where we were. And he points to the creep show figure from NECA. And he said, did you bring your creep show figure? And I says, no. He said, well, you, sh- you could get it signed by Greg Nicotero. I said, oh, Jesus Christ. I didn't even think about that. At the time, I, I just, I got, my mind was all over the place. And because I just had a, a visit from Greg Nicotero, who bought a couple of shirts, which was mind blowing. That's a whole story within itself. But um, so I wasn't really thinking clearly. And I'm just kind of, uh, and Jason's like, well, hold on. So Jason goes over, he, he makes a deal with the vendor and gets us each one. I'm making him some t-shirts. So it was kind of a, kind of a trade. So Jason uh, bought that figure for me and uh, we went over there and, and yeah, we each got Greg Nicotero to sign it, to sign it. Then Jason, you know, picked up the tab and, and got them both authenticated, which I had never done because I usually just hold, you know, whatever I'm getting signed up in the picture. But when I went over and had Greg sign it, I, I wasn't thinking I was, I was total fanboy geek all week. I had the most fun I didn't even do as well as I normally do as a vendor as far as the t-shirts, but it doesn't matter because it was just so much fun and I just wasn't thinking. So yeah, I didn't get a picture of the uh, autographed action figure with Greg. So Jason uh, paid to have it certified, which was cool. You did get a cool picture with Greg, Nick though. Yeah. I brought my oldest over my oldest daughter. She said, can I go with you? Sure. And her and I got in the picture and you know, Greg was in between us. And again, I was still riding high. I, I dropped the family off that morning at the convention, dropped them off to get started. And I ran to the gas station for everybody to get, you know, drinks and donuts, whatever we needed. I came back and they're like, you need to sit down. And I'm like, Oh, I got this armload of stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'm used to bad news. So I'm just sitting, everybody's to hand everybody their tray, taking my time. I finally sit down. I go, all right, hit me with it. What happened? They're like, well, Greg Nicotero come over and he likes your shirts and he bought a couple of shirts. And I just shut the fuck up, you know? And they're like, no, really? Greg Nicotero came over and, and bought some shirts. I was like, wow, my mind was just blown. So I went over to get the, the action figure signed. I said, hey, I had to return the favor. 
So very, very cool conversing, conversing with that guy. But I also from, and I'm going to spell this because I don't know how to actually say it, but I got this uh, print, this 11 by 17 print from a guy and it's C-I-N-E-T-R-E-D-I-C-I-A-R-T. Syntridic Art. I don't know. He's on Instagram though. Cool guy. We chatted a lot and uh, he does a lot of his own paintings and stuff, but he did these different art prints of maps of Haddonfield and it showed you where Michael Myers killed everybody. And he had maps of Woodsboro where Ghostface killed everybody. And you have one of Valentine's Bluff um, from My Bloody Valentine, which I had to get because I'm a huge fan, supporter of the fan film. So I picked that up from him. And again, you can find him on, on Instagram. Got the creep show thing signed. Got the plaid shirt zombie, Paul Musser. He signed my my plaid shirt zombie Dawn of the Dead action figure, which if you don't know who I'm talking about, Paul Musser is basically the face of the film. Every Dawn of the Dead poster you see is that bald head. And that's Paul. And Brian got in on the... Uh, the photo with me on that one he went with me and we talked to that cool cat cool cat just real laid back nice to talk to and then speaking of zombies from dawn of the dead uh i was in the same room as jim crute who was the helicopter zombie and this guy we, we chatted all week and from the second i got there we had multiple conversations uh this guy is just truly an amazing human being and i got a still autograph signed from him um got you know a selfie with him with with melissa myself and him and then he had this action figure of himself as the helicopter zombie. And I went over and I saw it and I was like, I want that. I need to get that. But again, there was so much going on. I wasn't focusing and I was like, I'll be back. Well, by the time I got back, ghoulish Gary, come to find out, had wandered over to my booth and bought a, a BP shirt and then wandered over there and bought that action figure. So there was none left. Oh, he bought it? Nice. Yeah, yeah, because I saw him post a picture of it, so I commented. And I was like, damn it, thanks for buying my shirt. But, you know, then you wandered over and bought that action figure I wanted. So, um, But I've been talking with, with Jim, and, and he's getting a few more made, and he's going to be sending me one soon, so that's cool. Two more things. Sorry, I am dominating, but I got a George Romero plushie from Garf, which is the George A. Romero, George A. Romero Foundation. Yeah, the, like the film foundation. I believe it's run by his wife and a, and a dedicated group of filmmakers. So, but I can no longer make fun of Brian for paying 60 bucks to get two plushy dolls of Joe, Bob and Darcy. Cause I paid 60 bucks to get a plushy doll of George Romero. So, but it was limited and they put it, if they wouldn't, it drew me in like a moth to a flame. I had the like, you know, 4,700 to 5,000. I'm like, Oh, it's limited. I got to get it. You know? Um, and then I also picked up a shadow box from mike there and he uh his outfit is called curious good 666 which you can find him on uh, instagram and facebook yeah his shadow art shadow box art just fucking phenomenal i got one night of the creeps one and he's got a variety of you know sizes and colors and some of the stuff he made were they called them vhs and they didn't light up they looked like little vhs tapes and he had them lined up in a bookcase and i felt like i was a kid at the movie store picking out a movie brian and i were over there quite a bit looking at stuff and talking with him let's see is that everything i got yeah oh yeah so here's here's the icing on the cake i just ordered a um deacon frost action figure from blade for 25 bucks nice i'm just kidding i just ordered that but that doesn't compare to any of this shit at all but i was like what the hell i just i just ordered it it's on its way so we'll throw it in there so yeah, I'm ridiculously poor uh, to the point where Jason had to buy me stuff. <laughs> Somebody, please, please help me. 
Brian, did you spend near as much money as us or? Well, we had a 10 hour drive to Pennsylvania. So like Jason drove the first four hours. I drove the last six hours. The last six hours was by far the best because that four hour trip through Chicago area is awful. Hate that by Chicago. All the whole way there, we're like, oh, we're gonna the first day we get there, we're gonna go into the mall, we're gonna do a lap, we're gonna think about what we're gonna buy, you know, and then we'll like, you know, look at our money and see what we have and like what we're gonna spend. Twenty minutes later, they were both like, We just we just spent hundreds of dollars. <laughs> yeah, we come back to Clint's day when we're like, he's like, What'd you buy? And we're like, everything. And the plan like fell apart immediately. I think the first table we went to was Ghoulish Gary Poland's table. And Jason wanted to have him sign a book, an art book that he had. Um, of course, we forgot the book in the car. You forgot he bought um, the Freddy vs. Jason record. I, I forgot to mention that. So, yeah, thank you. Yep. Jason didn't have that one, so he bought that. And I'm going through his book of prints. And, of course, I come across the You Need a Medical um, glow in the dark limited edition. I had the regular edition, but I couldn't get the, I bought a mystery box. So I got that, bought the limited edition. I'll trade it out and I'll sell the other one, but I'll keep this one. It glows in the dark. I mean, it's cool. It's kind of purple and black and green. I found the ring arrow box set. I've been eyeballing it for a while, but shipping from England's crazy. And uh, somebody had it for 25 bucks, And I was like, well, I can't pass that up. That's more, it costs more to have it shipped here than it, that. So I picked that up. I think they had it out there because it's a region B and you have to have a special player to play it, which I have. Fancy. I picked up a Gamera Blu-ray that somebody had, even though I have the Arrow box set for five bucks. I picked up this movie, Sons of Steel, from a future video. This guy was hustling. And uh, he put the trailer on for me in the trailer. It's like a futuristic rock movie. And the band in the trailer is on this big missile going across the stage. It looks like a penis. And I was like, I'm ready to buy it. And he's like, oh, you don't want to watch the rest of the trailer? I'm like, no, I've seen enough. I want to buy it. Like, just sell it to me. Giant penis. Yeah, just to be clear, because you can't see this, uh, it doesn't uh, resemble a penis. It is a penis. It looks just like a penis. Yeah. Come with a cool slip cover. I mean, nothing. And then uh, he had a Jacko from a Make Flips, Make Flicks. It's autographed by Lene on the back. Lene Quigley. So I had to buy that. I mean, that was 30 bucks. I regret not buying one. Then I bought a, I found a, somebody that was a Joe Bob fan. She's like, cool shirt. And she had a Joe Bob shirt on. So I bought a little wooden half dog um, that she had, you know, from Night of the Living Dead or from Return of Living Dead. And then she had a cool, um, the party time zombie print, just his face. You don't see him a lot and stuff. She had 11 by 17 of him that I bought. Just some cool stuff. And then I was at a, where was I at? Oh, Salvation Army. I was like, yeah, once bitten on DVD. I was like, I'll buy it for a dollar. I mean, that's a cool Jim Carrey old movie. It's fun. Just be glad that you guys didn't bring your. Just be glad you guys didn't bring your kids because I didn't even mention that part. You know, like I said, we, we brought. I brought all three of my daughters down, and we're at a mall, and the mall is still functioning. Yeah, so Melissa and I, more Melissa than myself, but between the both of us, we spent like an additional grand on just shopping with the kids and trying to keep them entertained. And the hell was I thinking? I love my kids, but what the hell was I thinking? I would imagine after spending the weekend sitting with me at the booth. 
they're like, we're never going to another convention again. Oh, no, no. They love you guys. They love you guys. Yeah, yeah they were good kids. Yeah, they all have nicknames now. There's chicken legs, scaredy cat, and boots. Because I'm awful with names. I can't remember names for anything. You can remember all their nicknames, though. That's crazy. And then uh, halfway through the weekend, I was like, Boots kind of looks like Rosanna Dana Dana from uh, Saturday Night Live. So I was calling her Rosanna all weekend. Careful. She's the quiet one that might kill you. Yeah, oh, I know. Yeah, She's like, Dad knows how to hide bodies. We were doing pictures at the cemetery. I was like, Boots, move over more. <laughs> like, I was like, she probably hates us. That's like, quick call of me Boots. Well, and I mean, that's another thing to, to throw in there about why we're poor, because this wasn't a typical convention. Um, you know, we didn't just go, you know, shop and stuff. I mean, we, we took a trip. Jason drove us 45 minutes to um, Evans City Cemetery, and we were there for a good while. Some just goofy photo shoots, but we did some stuff that, you know, we're using to promote the podcast and everything. That, that was a great time. You know, what was cool about that, too, is there was that couple that was there. They were Night of Living Dead fans. They were from out of the area. And they knew they were in the right cemetery, but they didn't quite know what was where or why. And so Jason started showing them around. And um, so we're pointing stuff out to him and everything. And it was really cool because at the end, we were getting ready to leave. And they said, can we get your picture? Because you guys were like our tour guides. So like we were kind of like, I don't know, I felt like a, a horror celeb for a half a second. They're like, hey, this is cool. Yeah, they were a sweet couple. If they were a couple, I don't want to assume, but... <laughs> But yeah, like I say, it wasn't a normal convention um, and being that far away from home and, you know, we all went out to eat together and found a really good restaurant and um, bumped in, bumped into one of our biggest fans there. You know what I mean? Which I didn't expect that. And you say she's from the uh, Baltimore area. Yeah. Yeah. I knew she was going to be there. It was just weird that we go to the restaurant and she's there. It was just kind of, I mean, I saw her at the mall, but then she, I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, yeah, she's a big Joe Bob fan too. So, and he didn't introduce us at all. He was just over there talking, taking all the credit. You know, what was weird is we were walking out of the restaurant and, and she come up and said hi to Brian. And then she turned around and said hi to me. And I immediately recognized her and I knew what was going on. I tell you this whole week and I was just out of it. And I'm like, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. And then I just kept walking and I went out in the parking lot and was hanging out with Melissa and the kids and Jason. And then I realized after a while, Brian's over there talking up a storm to her, which is, which is great. You know, and then I was. I don't know. I should have wandered back and said hi because, yeah, she shares our stuff quite a bit. And it's just cool going that far, you know, and bumping into someone who promotes the show. Very, very cool. So now that we know why we're all really, really poor, let's hear from a sponsor. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are easily frightened, we advise you not to watch this film. First, it was color, then, sound. Then 3D and Cinemascope. Now, the most exciting new storytelling technique in film history. Severin Films. Severin Films is an American film production and distribution company known for restoring and releasing cult films on DVD and Blu-ray. You've never seen anything like it before. SevernFilms.com So we got another question this week. It's not about body parts, is it? No, it's not about body parts, no. Whew. So uh, 
Jackson from St. Charles, Illinois, that's a suburb of Chicago, wants to know what song do we hear and it instantly triggers this should be in a horror movie. So a song that maybe is, isn't in a horror movie that you're not aware is in a horror movie that every time you hear it, it triggers it like this should be in a movie. Anytime I hear the music to the Why Are We Poor segment, that scares the shit out of me. Well, yeah. So what do you think, Clint? Uh, so this is, it goes back to my haunted house days. Um, and this, it was in a horror movie, so I'm kind of cheating. But Tiny Tim, Tiptoe tiptoe Through the Tulips. That's not necessarily a horror movie song, although it was in, um, was it not, was it one of the Conjuring films? Insidious. But I mean, initially that song had been out for years before that movie, and it's not necessarily you know a horror movie song. It's just kind of weird and quirky, and and a little haunting. In my the haunted house that I used to do, the corpse barn, we had an attic. Third floor of the attic is where we had grandma, and grandma's room played that song on loop constantly. It just looped and looped and looped and looped, and the actors up there would go insane and go, "Make it stop! Turn this shit off! I can't take it anymore." <laughs> uh, so anytime I hear that song, I am instantly transported back to the haunted house which i know isn't a movie but it was in my mind while i was there and designing it and, and acting in it so i hear that and i i can smell the barn i can you know just the memories pop up and everything so with that that tiptoe through the tulip song it's a funny little story here we have like alexis throughout our house nope see it just triggered right there so i was at work one day and my wife hates that freaking song because of that movie it terrifies her so I was at work one day and I had it on my phone. So I told it to play it on our living room uh, speaker and it started playing while she was there. Like she was in the kitchen or something. And I get a text. She was like, what are you doing? <laughs> she was like, she was like, is that you? And I was like, is that me? What? <laughs> he just totally playing it dumb. And she was like, it's not fucking funny. I don't like that. I'm home alone. <laughs> she was super mad, but that is a, that's, that's what I thought too. Like, it's always hard. I don't remember any songs that I've heard that feel like they should be in horror movies, but I always hear those. I, I love the songs that we hear that aren't for horror movies, but then they put them in them and it goes so well with it. Like the tiptoe through the tulips, but there's also one in sinister. I'm sorry, Jackson, like switching up the question, but there's one in sinister. Like it's an old, it sounds like an old timey song and it's like an innocent, like children's song, but it is about the boogeyman or something. And it puts it in that movie, and it's super creepy. Children, have you ever met the bogeyman before? No, of course you haven't, for you're much too good, I'm sure. Don't you be afraid of him if he should visit you. He's a great big coward, so I'll tell you what to do. Hush, 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 here comes the bogeyman. Well, I think you kind of go back, uh, Mr. Sandman and Halloween too. Like that probably was not made for a horror movie. Like when they made that, they probably thought, "Oh no, this would just be a good song to get people to nod their heads and dance or whatever." <laughs> and now every time I hear it, I instantly think of Halloween too. Yeah. Did you you know? Have you ever watched like Tiny Tim interviews of him? The Space Cadet. Yeah, he's very odd and almost creepy, but maybe not trying to be. And did you ever see that movie he's in, Blood Harvest? It's it's a horror movie. It's No, I, I, I know what you're talking about, but I haven't watched it yet, no. 1987. So yeah, he's in a horror movie. Um, I've seen it. I mean it. Of course you have. 
kind of got a clown look in the movie, so he's even more creepy. Mine's weird. Like, every time I hear the beginning to Summer Breeze. See the curtains hanging in the window In the evening on a Friday night Little light is shining through the window Let me know everything's alright Summer breeze makes me feel fine Blowing through the jasmine in my mind if you guys know that song like it's i play like a lot of yeah i play a lot of like 70s and 80s soft rock when i'm like in the car by myself or going to bed at night and just the lyrics of that i should look up the lyrics and they're just creepy to me huh? and the the sound the music well you know it's it's funny you brought that up because a lot of those uh like 60 era you know, mid to late 60s, almost garage band. They have that kind of echoey sound to them. And I almost said that as my answer instead of Tiptoe uh, because there's a lot of songs from the era, and I think it's just because of that echo. You look at um, Hazy Shade of Winter, you know, or what's the other one? It's like, all the leaves are brown and the sky is gray. You know, yeah, that could be tossed in a horror movie. Um, now, Typo, Neg- Typo Negative, I don't know if you guys listen or have ever heard of Typo Negative, uh, but they redid Summer Breeze. When I think of horror music, I think of Typo Negative. Yeah, it's just like the it says see the curtains hanging in the window in the evening on a Friday night. It just I feel like the opening to a movie where like somebody's being stalked and somebody's looking through the windows at, you know, these people in their home. Uh it just hits me like that every time and I'm just like, why has this not been in a movie? Like all the other stuff they've thrown in a movie, why has this one not been in there? Like and then in in Brian's daydream all of a sudden Joe Bob's uh guard dogs get released and Brian's running through the yard for the fence, cursing Jason, saying, Jason told me through his tax records that they wouldn't have dogs. So we got, so we got tiptoe through the tulips, summer breeze. And did you find out what the name of that song was, Jason? Here comes the boogeyman. But it's, this thing says it's from Jeepers Creepers. I always thought it was like a sinister thing, but it, it sounds like an old, like 1930s tune. Um, yeah. What was that song from the Jeepers Creepers movie? Of Jeepers Creepers, how'd you get those weepers? Jeepers Creepers, yeah. But of course, I think it was slower. I'm singing like the night court version that's all upbeat. But so we should definitely throw a little. We should throw a little snippets of these songs in. That'd be cool. I was so mad when you did. Like I had, I had my microphone on mute when you brought up the Munsters theme song earlier, and I like started singing it and humming it, and I was cracking myself up. And then I realized I was on mute. I was like, fuck. I saw you laughing, and I was like, is he laughing because I'm talking about the monsters, or what's going on? I was doing the do 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 So I was doing all that, and I was like, oh, fuck. I was like, I could have just left that in there. Hey, so, Jackson, that was a great question. I appreciate you sending the question in, and actually you've turned the show into karaoke hour, which is fantastic. We found out that we're poor and none of us can sing, so... Great question, and uh, everybody keep the questions coming in. It's been a while since we've had a real off-the-wall one, but keep come, keep sending them in, guys. Well, I'm sure I could contact Tony for you if you guys want a crazy question again. I know that, we, I know that we're like uh, 
we're soliciting for questions, but but I don't know if I want to go to Tony and solicit <laughs> <laughs> anything. All right, All right announce cool. the movies. So a little story behind these movies. Jason, Clint, and I were at Midwest Monster Fest halfway to Halloween. I'm sure you know that by now from listening to the podcast. And I go over to a table, Severin Films. Two guys stay, you know, sitting there. I'm going through the movies. I'm kind of scanning ones to see if I own them. And the guy's like, you have, you have an app that keeps track of your movies? I'm like, well, yeah, I, I have like 500 Blu-rays. I don't know what I have and what I don't have. He kind of laughed. And uh, we started talking. And he said, well, if you guys want to cover uh, some Severn films, if you never have for the podcast, we probably work something out. So I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll bring the guys back over later and we could talk. And so I, when we went back, I kind of asked him, we kind of asked him, what movie do you feel like Severn has released? that you love that does not get enough love. And it was Matt Harding. He's a kind of the Severn rep for this area. Awesome guy. You know, I've talked to him a little bit. And he said, Beyond the Darkness. So what's what's awesome about Beyond the Darkness, and actually, uh, real quick, just for people who don't know anything about Severn Films, they specialize in production and distribution of restoring and releasing cult films. So, I mean, you're not going to go there and find Ghostbusters 2 or Godzilla or even Night of the Demons or Halloween. They have a lot of uh, a lot of Italian horror films, a lot of weird exploitation stuff from the 70s. So, I mean, if you ever want to go down a, a wonderful, weird little path, then then check them out. They have a gigantic catalog of some cool stuff. Yeah, so the, the movie Beyond the Darkness, I actually wandered by the table before I even knew any of this went down and was looking at the movies and Beyond the Darkness jumped out at me and I was like, that looks kind of cool just from the cover art, you know? And, and then Lewis was there, right? Cause Lewis and Jocelyn had a, a, their booth set up. He brought that movie up just out of nowhere. It was like, Oh man, have you seen this movie? He's like, I've seen it. It's really good. So then, you know, by the time Brian comes around and talks about, he was over there chatting with him, that movie came up. It just made sense to, uh, to cover beyond the darkness. Yeah. What do you think, Jason? Right up your alley, wasn't it? Actually, I enjoyed it. I start, I did, I did. It was weird. I started watching it on my phone. I got about 15, 20 minutes into it and I'm like, oh man. And I was kind of half-ass watching it, which I shouldn't do, you know, because we're going to talk about it. So I stopped watching it and I was like, okay, I have to dedicate, like, I got to go home and watch this. So I got home and I put it on and I was, I was into it from the start. Like I liked the story that's about a kid or a guy. Oh, he's grown, but he was an orphan. And uh, he inherited this house and he lives there with his housekeeper and his like housekeeper was like in love with him. <laughs> it it was kind of weird because the story. So who was the girl like that was his girlfriend who was dying in the hospital, right? That, that was his fiance. Yeah. So so his house, his, his house, his housekeeper per, was jealous of their relationship. And so did some like that's how the film opened was she was doing like voodoo a voodoo ceremony, you know, and stuck his, uh, his fiance in the hospital. Oh, so that's why she was sick. Okay. That must've been when I was watching it at work, kind of half-ass watching it just on a break. And I was like, okay, I need to put more time into this. And then it got weird. Cause yeah, he was yelling at her for not telling him that she was really sick in the hospital. And of course he gets there just in time, <laughs> you know? So he gets there and they say their goodbyes and, she gets all sexual with the goodbye. <laughs> she dies. Like, yeah, they're, they're getting into this heavy kiss. And like, cause she says, she goes, I want to make love to you one more time before I die. 
and they they start making out and it gets pretty heavy and then she just passes away and so it wasn't it wasn't that sweet innocent you know hold i'll always love you and miss you kiss goodbye like they were getting ready to get down and she just dropped dead and melissa was watching this with me and i looked over her and i was like that was romantic but god that would be (laughs) fucked up wouldn't it you know what i mean i'd be standing over you going you you left me hanging what the hell (laughs) well and then well he's a taxidermist so of course you know she dies they're getting set up for the funeral and he like sneaks in there and is like saying his goodbyes before they close the casket and he injects her with something did they really go into what that was i assume it was just some kind of like a preservative or something that yeah see in the beginning i didn't know if it was going to be like a reanimator type thing or if it was a preservative because when you when you find out he's a taxidermist he injects that into a, a baboon that is delivered to him for him to taxidermy so yeah it had to be something to, to for a preservative well, and then, so of course, you know, she gets buried and he goes back and digs her up. So I was just waiting. That That's where I was waiting for her to come back alive when he was digging her up and she jumps out and grabs him. But no, she was, she was dead. You know, he just took her home and did some weird taxidermy shit to her. Like he pretty much preserved her. He took out like all her organs and. Yeah, I was going to say that's what they do before they bury you. This movie is made in Italy and it was made in 1979. And I, but it's still modern enough where I would assume before they bury somebody, they remove all of all of the organs and everything. They did not in this movie, yeah, or at least drain her something. But yeah, well, at least he knew what he was doing. Took her home, and they showed the whole process. I tell you, if you're a fan of gore um, and just d- disturbing images, you know what I mean. This this movie is going to be right up your alley. Then taking her eyes out, putting the fake eyes in, so she can. The whole time, I'm like, what the fuck is he doing with her? <laughs> and then it was funny. He's like, he digs her up and he's dri- he puts her in the van. He's driving back and he zooms right on past a uh, hitchhiker in the road. And that whole scene was weird. He gets down, like, down the road a little bit more and then he gets a flat tire. So he has to stop. And the whole time I'm thinking, oh my God, this hitchhiker, this is where the movie's going to turn. You know, he already dug up a body and now this girl's going to come attack him. And then the cops pull up and like, hey, what are you doing? So he gets all paranoid. Oh, I'm fine. You know knowing he has a body in the car. Yeah. <laughs> this guy has bad luck. He goes and robs a grave, gets a flat tire, hitchhiker jumps in his car. Cops come see what he's doing. His girlfriend died. <laughs> Fiance. I don't understand why he left the hitchhiker in the car. Cause he, the hitchhiker just forces her way in. Like he goes back after talking to the cops, the hitchhiker has just put herself in his car and said, I'm riding with you, whether you like it or not, let's smoke some dope. She passes out, and then you know he knows that he's got a dead body of his ex-fiance or his you know dead fiance. He's gonna do whatever he's gonna do with her. He leaves the hitchhiker in the car, just parks in his garage, and goes to work. I what did he think was gonna happen? I don't right. I don't know. It makes you wonder. Like, has he killed before? Maybe he has. I mean, that's pretty weird to like just go to that extreme, digging up your girl, and he ends up killing the hitchhiker because she wakes up and comes and finds out what he's doing and attacks him. Because she tries to get out and she can't, so she attacks him, yeah. So doesn't he strangle her? I think he strangles her. And then the old the old housekeeper comes and finds out what he's doing. And she went right to work. She's like, okay, we got to do this, this, this. They had all the chemicals right there to throw her in the bathtub and started chopping her up. And What did you think about the, about the, the gore there, the effects, Brian? The whole gore thing kind of threw me because I was thinking like, oh, it's 1979 Italian horror. It's going to be more like a whodunit giallo film, you know, like 
I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Even Jack at one point, my son was like, what are we watching? And I was like, I don't know. I was waiting for like the black gloves to come out and see who the killer was. But I was like, this is like necromantic, the Italian version. I was like the, a lot of gore in this movie and it totally threw me. I was like, this is kind of odd to me. You know who the killer is? He asked me at one point, he's like, is that her, his housekeeper? And I was like, his, her, his maid, but she's in love with him. And she provides other duties as required, I guess. I like, I don't know. Maybe she gets paid really well. I don't know. Like it was, that was odd too. I was like, this is like, this movie caught me totally off guard. I, I have some questions about that. I want to see what, what you guys think. But as far as the gore, like when she was chopping up the hitchhiker and dis, you know dismembering her to fit her into the bathtub of acid there, which the jug of acid he had looked like a giant jug of Italian wine in this little wicker basket. And it just kept, he just, Melissa's like, how much acid is in that bottle? They're just, should the tub be overflowing by now? It just kept going and going. But I, I'm watching, I'm watching as the housekeeper, you know, dismembers the body. And I'm like, man, that looks so realistic. And then I was like, I think that's, I was like, I think that's pig skin. And so I looked it up on, because I, I know movies do that sometimes. I looked it up and yeah, they it was animal intestines and pig skin that they were chopping up to give it that realistic, you know, skin cut feel look to it. So And the camera angles made it made it look it looked pretty real. So I'm wondering in the story though, I, I gotta back up a second because right after he finds out that his fiance like he he goes and she's dead and she's buried. And then he goes home and he's, you know, in the room of his dead mother. Cause his mother and father had died in a car wreck. I think it was a few years prior. And the housekeeper comes in and is trying to console them, pulls out her breast and talk. Mommy will take care of you. Mommy will make it okay. And then he goes over and basically starts breastfeeding off her. Now, now he's a, a young man, a grown man that you could feel the sexual tension, but he was literally like he was a baby trying to get, you know, extract milk from her nipple. And I'm sitting there watching it and I'm like, I wonder if he is as screwed up as he is, because it sounds like she's been with the family for years and she wanted to be part of the family. She wanted she wanted to own the house and have all the riches. I'm wondering if she like, you know, sexually molested this boy since he was a child till now. Like, why is he so fucked up? That's the only thing that made sense to me. Yeah, I never thought I just thought kind of the the death of his parents you know traumatic death of his parents kind of sent him over the edge but yeah you don't really get that much of the story leaves it open to interpretation yeah and there was a few more times where it got pretty sexual she jerked him off at one point it was that there was another death was it another girl died because he keeps picking up women throughout this whole movie and then killing them and i can't remember but yeah she she takes care of him in another scene well, and then there's, well, the scene when he picks up the jogger, like he's just kind of following her, or makes it look like he's stalking her. She twists her ankle, so he helps her back to the room or to his place and taking care of her. And then she, he brings her into the bedroom, which is weird. It's like two twin beds, like next to each other. So and he's start, they're starting to like get into it and make love. And he pulls the sheet down and the dead girlfriend is laying in the bed next to him. So then that's kind of where I felt as screwed up as it is, I kind of felt bad for him. I was like, Oh, I was like, he's just trying to be with his girl. Like it's in a sick, twisted way. 
So he's making love to this girl while staring at his girlfriend the whole time. Yeah, because he couldn't get into it. He couldn't get into it until he pulled the sheet back and was staring at her. Yeah, yeah. So what you're saying is, is this is a love story. It's it's a hundred percent a love story. That's exactly yep, it is. In well, more ways than one, because like you know, the maid is trying to be in love with him, trying to marry him, but nope, he's just in love with this girl, and everything he does is for her. Well, and I tell you what, the actress who played his dead fiance, phenomenal actress in the aspect of she played a lot of scenes just laying there as a dead body, right? You wouldn't think that takes a whole lot. I watch and I scrutinize things like that because I'm a weirdo. I never saw her eyes twitch. She didn't fucking blink. Her eyes didn't water. She didn't breathe. There weren't a lot of cat like the camera was on her for a long amount of time, a whole bunch of times. You know, there weren't a lot of cuts to, to do away with that if she reacted as a human. Maybe it was a different movie and then she died like a weekend to record into filming and they're like, nah, we'll just change it to this. We have a backup script. That's actually when I die, I want my body to be used in one film before you light me on fire. That'd be cool. I'm gonna write that I'm gonna write that in my will. Well, and you know, the Italians are known for like cannibal Holocaust. They really killed animals in that movie. There's a movie called uh, men behind the sun where in the movie, they perform an autopsy on a a child. It's about um, the Japanese or the Chinese torture camps um, during, I think world war two or maybe the Japanese. I can't remember which Um, they perform an autopsy in the movie and they put actual footage of an autopsy being performed in the movie on a child yeah yeah like you watch it and you think it's just part of the movie you know and then it's not real but then you go back and you research the movie and you're like oh that was actual autopsy of a child being performed they stuck in that movie in 1979 italy could joe damato get away with it probably not you know it's always leaves that little bit of wonder in your mind of was that really he came damn close getting away with it in this movie. Yeah. 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 Like stories of when cannibal Holocaust was shown, they censored it all over the world. The director ended up in court having to prove that the actors weren't really dead. Crazier things have happened. I mean, people thought the Blair witch was real. I mean, they played it so well that people thought that really, there was really a Blair witch and these people had really been lost in the woods. I wonder what his intentions were though with this dead girlfriend. I mean, he never did anything with her that we saw. He just kind of wandered her around, kind of preserved her and kept her there. He said, like, I want to be with her forever. I never want to leave you. But, I mean, then Papa was a rolling stone, and every chance he got, he went out and picked up another woman. And, I mean, so there was the hitchhiker. There was the jogger. Um, there was... A- yeah, the nightclub, and was there is that it, or was there someone else? Uh, the the sister came back at the end. Yeah, so he brought the girl from the nightclub home, and then she was getting cleaned up, and then yeah, he's like, "Come on home." We're, we're he he brought the girl home from the nightclub. He's like, "We're about to get down, but you better bathe and bathe first. And I thought that's degrading. And then like she was taking a bath in the bathtub with it's like green soap. The bathtub was all green. I'm like, what the fuck is this? It was really weird. But yeah, then he kicked her out. He said, you got to leave now. But he was a nice serial killer because he said, you got to get the fuck out now. I'll drive you home, but we got to go now. And he took, he left and took her home. That was nice of him. 
So the sister that came back, so the sister of the dead girlfriend came back. Was it the same actress? I believe so, because I think they were supposed to, I think they were twins. They were supposed to be twins. Yeah, yeah. So I assumed it was the same actress, but I didn't really look into it. Why didn't he just date her instead? Like they looked the same. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like it never, never dawned. That's what I thought. When she came back, it was like he had saw her. For the, and at that point, he had descended into insanity even further. Excuse me. And so when he saw the sister, his reaction wasn't like, oh, there's her sister. She looks just like her. He, It was like he thought her sister was his dead fiance. Kicking the old side chick out. My girl came back. Get out. And 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 then what happens, you know, he, he tries to play the nice serial killer and takes the the girl from the nightclub home. And while he's gone, the housekeeper who is now rejected and realizes that she doesn't stand a chance at hell and get whatever it is that she's really after, whether it's the family fortune or security or his love or whatever tries to kill the living sister. Well, and he, but he comes back just in time, right? Yeah. And then he fights the housekeeper. They get into it. She rips out his eye, kills her. There's a whole lot of eye ripping out in this movie. It was like it was like playing a Mortal Kombat video game. You ever you play some of the new Mortal Kombat's? All the fatalities, the eyes pop out. Yeah, it was just like. Well, good thing he has a some extra eyes sitting around to replace his eye. Yeah, this this movie totally threw me. I was like not prepared for this. I went in like just I looked at the front of the box, looked at the slip cover, and I saw that Goblin did the music for the soundtrack and i was like oh this will be a fun you know italian giallo you know beyond the darkness i mean it kind of has like i got the, i was lucky and got the severin with the sip slip cover and it's kind of got a girl on the front and it says buried alive because that's another name for it um and then you pull it down and it's got a the lady in the bathtub the hitchhiker her face melted off but her hair is still all there so that's kind of weird but then it's got like the goblin um live um, they're performing the soundtrack live. There's another disc in there. So that's cool. Yeah, it totally threw me off. I was like, what the hell are we watching? Like, it's one of those that I'm going to have to sit down and watch again because I'm like, I'm totally like, what is going on here? And then we didn't even get into, like, the dude biting the girls. Did you see that on, like, with the with the jogger when she realizes that the girl's dead in the body? He takes a big old chunk out of her neck. Well, and then actually also, I forgot about that. I'm glad you brought that up. When he's embalming, when he's embalming his dead uh, fiance, remember he gets her heart out and he looks at it and just takes a big old chunk out of her heart. Oh shit, did he? Yeah, I must have missed that too. Yeah, he's pulling her guts out. Yeah, so I mean, they, they touched on a lot of different levels of... Well, and then when he's fighting with the maid at the end, they're fighting, he comes back just in time to save the girl from getting stabbed and they're fighting and he takes a big old bite out of her cheek also. He's like a WWE heel. He like bites when the ref's not looking. He's like, no, I didn't do it. I didn't do nothing. No. <laughs> well, there was there was a ref looking because throughout this whole movie, who you think is um, someone from the cemetery, like uh, from the mortuary, has been spying on this guy and like showing up and sneaking around his house. Try, he knows something's going on. He's trying to figure it out. By the end of the movie, you find out that which I don't think he was actually. Um, an employee of the mortuary because he said that he was hired by the dead fiance's family to recover, to recover the dead body. And so I think he was like a private eye or something like that. 
Um, so yeah, there was there was a ref watching. He was sneaking around the house. You know, and, and you're talking about Goblin doing the music. Absolutely love Goblin. I have nothing bad to say about Goblin. I love that synth music, and everything they did was fantastic. But with this movie, the music, even though it, it hit with the action, like it was on cue, that it did not match the tone of the film. It was just kind of this upbeat kind of 70s synth while he's killing people and stuff like that. But what I think is a credit to the director is there's a scene where the the guy I was talking about, the detective or the mortuary guy is looking in the house. The housekeeper hears him. So she's going to investigate and he's looking around like, shit, I got to hide or I'm going to get caught. And it was, I mean, I wasn't on the edge of my seat, but it was that suspenseful moment where you're like, is he going to get caught? Is he going to get away? What's going to happen? And typically that suspense music would kick in. It's that high pitched kind of, you know, but it wasn't, it was just goddamn goblin synth music and you were just bebopping along, but I was still like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? So great visual storytelling. I don't know if I'd choose that, that, that music though. You think like Joe D'Amato was like, okay, we're going to make a movie about a serial killer who's happens to be a cannibal whose housekeeper is in love with him. That's living his best life. And we're just going to play upbeat music and like, do all this stuff. And I almost wonder when I was watching, I was like, Jeffrey Dahmer see this movie when he was growing up? And he's like, oh, that's a good idea. Oh, that's a great idea. Oh, I could do that too. Like When I was making notes for this movie, my first note was upbeat grave robin music. <laughs> I'm not the only one then. Yeah. So then what do you think about the end of it? So like this guy goes to recover the body, gets the body, takes it back, puts it in the coffin. Do you guys remember like the end? And then, then she sprang up. Right. So what happened was, is of course the, uh, the sister, which I think was the tw- the twin of the yeah. dead fiance shows up to the house, passes out. The serial killer kills the housemaid. And then he picks up the body and he listens. He puts his head down to her chest and you hear a heartbeat. Boom. Boom. And he's like, okay, she's alive. So he takes her back to the, his, taxidermy lab in the house and then you don't see what happens and then the detective guy comes in and sees there's a body cooking in the oven and the serial killer is sitting there and of course he's all fucked up he got his eye ripped out and he's damn near dead anyway and then he goes to try to kill the detective and then the serial killer falls down and dies so yeah you're saying the detective sees a lady laying there in the white dress so he thought it was her so what that guy did with the serial killer was he swapped and I, the second I saw it, I was like, oh, no, he swapped the clothes. He burned the dead sister, is going to pretend the living sister is the dead sister. Yep. No one knows it because she's passed out. They're going to bury her alive. Yep, yep. And I thought, how dread, how dreadful would that be? <laughs> and I, I actually jumped because, in my mind, that's what was going to happen. And it was going to end on this very dreadful note. Uh-huh. But they startled me because right at the end, they bring her body back. They put her in the coffin. They go to nail it shut. She sits up, screaming, jumps right out of that coffin. <laughs> and that's the, that's the end of the movie. So good. Well, and maybe that's where one of the, the, the slipcover name comes from, Buried Alive. Maybe that's why. Subcon- I wasn't even thinking about that. But I bet you subconsciously I saw that and I was like, oh, they're going to bury her alive. That would make this, not that this movie's like a upbeat besides the music, like, happy happy movie but that would just make it like completely dreadful you know see so it it was a love story it was the whole yeah. thing it's all revolved around this poor guy dead girlfriend i liked it 
I liked the movie. You know, I was I'm glad we watched it. And then I knew that was supposed to be the better of the two movies. And now we have to get into the other movie, which I'm like, oh, shit, here we go. This is going to be horrible. Yeah, because uh, Severn, when when Brian was over there talking, they, they set this up. And they said, OK, well, you guys cover this one. But if you're going to cover this one, which is a really good movie and everybody we talked to had said, hey, this is a really good movie. He said, you got to cover this one, too, and hands us the shark movie from 1990 called Deep Blood. And they said, this movie's really terrible, and it's by the same director. What? Joe D'Amata. Yeah. And so we're like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll watch them both and cover them both and, and compare how good they are. So, But real quick, if you, want, if, if you want to watch Beyond the Darkness, you can find it as Beyond the Darkness. You can find it as, what is it, Buio Omega? Yeah, yeah. However, however you say B-U-I-O Omega. And then in 1985, it was released in the States as Buried Alive. So it's got three titles if you're looking for it. It's worth a watch. Yeah. Buyo Omega, and it was released in Italy in 1987. They tried to tie that to the Evil Dead series and make it Evil Dead 3. Yeah, they re-released it. Yep. So, And then in Mexico, they released it as Zombie 10, part of the Zombie series. Oh, I didn't know that. And then in, I believe, in Spain... They released it as House 6 L Terror as part of the House series. I wonder if we can I wonder if we can get the rights and release it as like American Pie 5 or something like that. Right? <laughs> this one time at Taxidermy School. The Italians are kind of known for doing that with movies like releasing it as a movie and then saying, "Oh yeah, it's a it's Terminator 3 or 2." There's one that's called and I I watched it and it was like this is kind of like Terminator. And I was like, what? and then I looked it up and they're like, yeah, it was like released as Terminator two or uh, what's that one with the vampires and the, the RoboCop looking thing, Clint. Oh God. We, we just saw a copy of it at, at uh, Monroeville mall too. It's a, it's the worst movie I've ever seen in my fucking life. Um, Robo vampire. Yeah. Robo vampire. And you're like, that robot looks like the robot from RoboCop. So you're like, what, the, what is going on here? But yeah, the Italians are known for doing that. It's fun. I mean, it's if you're a collector, it's probably not fun because you're like, oh, I got to buy this movie 15 different ways, you know, just to have every copy of it. No, it's fun. It, I mean, it kind of had some, which I don't even know which one of those movies that would match up with the most. I mean, to me, it matches up like Necromantic 3 more than any of the ones that are on that list. Yeah, it's it's a standalone movie, but it it definitely is more in that category than it is an Evil Dead movie. I didn't get there wasn't one Evil Dead vibe or reference or anything yeah. you know? other than the taxidermy with like the animals, you know, the weird animals. Other than that, maybe it was a remake of a 1966 film called The Third Eye. So I wonder how crazy that is. Maybe it's not nearly as crazy. And they're like, eh, we'll just spice it up a little bit. Add some, you know, some fun music and some blood and guts, and we're good to go. I forgot to mention that. I'm glad you brought that up and reminded me because I want to go back and, and try to find the third eye, and I'm curious now to see how how closely because we're getting ready to talk about a little bit of deep blood, and I had some things to talk about as far as Joe Damata's directing style, and I'm curious to see the 1966 movie that it was that um, buried alive was made from to see if Damata made it his own or if he copied what he saw. Cause deep blood is buried alive was released in 1979 and it was shot in, uh, in Europe. I don't know if, where in Italy or wherever, what continent, but oh, well, deep blood was released in 1990 and it was shot in Florida. 
with a cast that sounded like they were from the Jersey Shore and is uh, his attempt at recreating Jaws. Someone please take it away from me. Yeah, it was a straight knockoff of Jaws with so many different storylines they try to fit in with the son and his dad and the group of friends, the bully. There was, there was a lot going on. The horrible looking fake blood. I feel like it was every main character in the movie and their father issues was like the whole theme of the movie with the shark thrown in and some like Indian, like at the beginning thrown in, it was just like an odd mixture of all these after school specials thrown together into one movie. That's kind of the feel I got like native American curse that these boys were told about. So the shark was some resemblance of that or something. But it was just a straight shark. I don't know what the. It was weird, and it, the move, the way the movie kind of starts out is the you know the little boy and the mom go out there, and I wondered if that's why the dad was having like weird issues. I wondered if that was his wife, but then it wasn't because he went home. No, he he mentioned something about his son. He said, "I haven't been able to fish ever since you know, Joey. I don't remember the name. He, he rattled off a boy's name. Um, died years ago." Like there was some accident and that's why he couldn't fish anymore. But he mentioned it and they never, they never talked about it ever again. Does that tie back to, wasn't it Jaws 2 where one of the sons is killed by the shark? No, that's, that's Jaws 4, the revenge. Mikey, Mikey, the youngest is now the sheriff. And in the beginning of Jaws 4, he gets eaten by the shark. So yeah, the, the Italians are known again for making movies to copy the, some of the stuff that Americans have done and that was popular to make money. I mean, it's, I mean, you can, and now we're kind of copying what they've done. I mean, it's kind of this big circle of life. They copy us, we copy them. Now they're making all these zombies movies in Korea that maybe they got from us, but we're doing the ring that we got from Japan, you know, like, so it's just a big circle of everybody kind of trying to do what everybody else has done that was popular and make money. I think the difference is though, is, is, whether it's an if it's an influence and you take it and make it your own like there i agree with you on most fronts there are no more brave new worlds or there are very few but when you take something and just almost rip it off identically you know that's just that, that's a waste of my time it was ter- terrible i hate to bash movies and I, and we talk about this a lot that we don't want to get on here and be critics you know we're not critics we're not you know, whatever. We're just fans of the genre and all these different movies, and we want to have a discussion. But it is really hard not to bash this movie. I I I was kind of into it. It was a it was a cheesy knockoff. I loved the pink blood that they try to use. And did you notice that when they were like throwing the blood off of the boat, trying to attract the shark, it was still that pink dye or whatever it was. You know, it's exact same stuff, but it wasn't like real blood looking. It looked like the paint I used on my uh, my patio out back. I was like, that looks like the paint we used to stain the patio. <laughs> well, on top of the acting being bad, it had the odd music in it again. And it almost it almost played out like a Hallmark or a Lifetime movie. It was very soap opera. The scenes were very long. It was very dramatic. And that's what I was going to touch on about Joe D'Amata as far as a director was. I, I felt the same as with Buried Alive, but it wasn't as bad in Buried Alive. It's almost like he is a great cinematographer. He's great at composing his shots, 
He's a decent visual storyteller, but in my opinion, he he's not a great storyteller or he didn't have good stories to work with. And it's almost like he didn't know how to edit himself, which I know from making, you know, shorts and stuff is it's really hard to do to be able to cut your creation up because especially in deep blood, the scenes just went on and on. And it was all this stuff that was redundant. In fact, there was the one where they go out on the boat to try to find the shark and the helicopter is flying there. And the cop says on the bullhorn, he's like, you should be ashamed of yourself. Go back to shore. And then the helicopter flies around the boat and comes back and it's just a repeat. You should be ashamed of yourself. Go back to shore. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Or the scene where they, towards the end, when they're, they find the shipwreck and they think they're going to lure the shark into there. And so they're down there filling it with dynamite. That was like 25 minutes of them swimming back and forth to the surface, to the, to the bottom of the ocean, setting up dynamite. It was just like. Exactly what I was going to say. And there was no dialogue in that time. It was them, one guy on the boat, three people swimming down. They come up. They're carrying around dynamite. I'm like, how the fuck are they going to light this dynamite down there? And then they kind of put that together. But yeah, it was a good 20 minutes of no talking at all. Just a lot of like scenes of swimming. and That, it could, have, that could have been a 10-minute scene at best. Probably could have been a five-minute scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was trying, trying to throw some credit. But speaking of credit, I I'd mentioned this um, about the suspense that I think Joe D'Amata, as a director, can create visually with his visual storytelling and his, the shots that he set up in Buried Alive with the uh, the detective and the, the goofy music, but he's trying to hide. Like, it got me. Like, oh, is he going to get out? Okay. It was the same thing with, and maybe it's because I'm afraid of sharks. That's one of my biggest fears. But when the mom was out on the raft and the little kid was in the ocean, just the way it was shot, and it had the, that lifetime music to it, like an elevator music. But I was still like, oh, my God, is the kid going to get eaten? Is the mom going to get eaten? You know. So they had moments in the movie of like where it got me like interested, but overall just. And then it had, <laughs> it had the scene where uh, the mom is out there. She got eaten by the shark. And the little boy's just sitting there on the beach, like just looking around, like. <laughs> and it that was something Melissa brought up. If you watch every like reaction from someone who watched the shark attacks, no one gave a shit. They were just like, yeah, yeah. watching it. There are no screaming, no tears. They were just watching it. And they go away. And then the guy who whose friend gets eaten when they go out to dive to catch some fish or whatever, and the guy gets eaten, and he runs back to tell the sheriff. And the sheriff's like, oh, you know, blew him off. Didn't think nothing of it. But thank God he knew the mayor. So then he went and told the mayor Then the sheriff was like. Even that guy was just kind of like upset, but like kind of watching. Not like screaming or like anything. He was just kind of watching. Like he's watching someone shop for underwear or something. He's just standing there just, yeah, this is going on. The guy that takes the waitress to, you know, he's having an affair with the waitress. And she like goes to swim. He just like puts it in reverse and like goes home. <laughs> He's just like, okay, well, solve that problem. Don't have to leave my wife now. <laughs> like, <laughs> I tried to look it up to see who that was because he that he wasn't credited in the movie, but I'd seen some pictures of Joe D'Amato while I was <clears throat> excuse me while I was researching, and he kind of looked like Joe D'Amato. I wondered if that was a Joe D'Amato cameo or not, but it never it never said who played that part. So I mean, you could the synopsis of this movie is like two sentences. Group of teenagers revenge friend's death by killing shark. I mean, it's it's pretty short. 
Yeah, ancient shark. Yeah, like what? Okay, ancient Indian shark. You should get a job for Amazon for Prime doing the synopsis. <laughs> Hell yeah! So I, I almost wonder because originally there was another director that directed like the first scene of the movie, and then he was kind of like, "No, nah, I want to do this." And I think it was Raphael Donatello. He's like, "No, nah, I don't want to do it." So Joe Mano's like, well, "Okay, well I'll do it then." Yeah, I'll do it. So and then he knew what a big pile of shit it was. Oh yeah. This movie's going nowhere. <laughs> and then uh they like show a shark and then they show a different shark and then they show a different shark. Like all the shark footage is National Geographic footage, stock footage that they bought or got to use. And at the end where they're in like the boat, they made a shark head. Did you notice that? And you're like, that looks so ridiculous. Like at one point when they point, finally blew the shark up, it just looked like a toy that snapped in half. Yeah, we watched that like four times. I was like, I gotta watch that again. But if you at the end when the shark's like trying to come in because the last kid's in there, it's like at a 180 degree or like a 45 degree angle, like just the head, and it's like swimming by the holes, like the you know the portholes, <laughs> like the sea in. It's like this fake. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like this super fake like paper mache shark head. It made me think of Saturday Night Live, where he was like. Ding dong. Who is it? Telegram. No, you're that land shark. No, ma'am. Nope, ma'am. <laughs> I don't. It, I watched it with my son, Jack, and we were just like, we got in like 15 minutes and he's like, that's not the Shane shark. And I was like, I know, like it isn't. This is going to be fun. Yeah. In more ripoff scenes, like when the cop shot the shark from the land or from the helicopter and then they brought him up and they're like, that's not the same shark right from jaws again yeah the indians like don't believe everything you see and he's like looks he turns around and there's nobody there like yeah from jaws right and it's it's been like 12 years but the indian still looks exactly the same as he did when the boys were younger i don't know he looked like kind of rough i was like man what happened to him you have a bender like his hair was all sticking up crazy i was like well he must have been up late rewriting scenes and drinking bourbon you know what i mean well and we get the mayor we get the sheriff, you know, we get the people going out on the boat to kill the shark. You know, we get the cop, the sheriff was like, just take off the fucking glasses. That was like my favorite line in the movie. He's like, just take off. I don't care what you do. Just take off the fucking glasses. Get the kid a soda pop or something. Like, take him over to the grocery store. <laughs> he said, hell, get him drunk. I don't care. Just get him to talk. I did. I did like that character, you know, because, uh, again, I, I've said a lot of bad things and I'll continue about this movie. But there was some sus- uh, suspense that Joe D'Amato created and the, the police officer character, the sheriff there, uh, the actor who played him, I thought did a great job. He was probably the best actor in, in the whole movie. I, I liked watching him perform. You liked watching him pat himself because he's hot and nobody else is. <laughs> We're like, what the fuck's he doing? He's always like patting the sweat off, but nobody else is hot. Like everybody else just, he's like walking up, patting the sweat off of his brow and his face. I was like, everybody else seems fine, but he's really fucking hot. Like what's going on? He looked like a Michigander who just moved to Georgia and doesn't know how to deal with the heat. You know what I mean? For some reason, and we've talked about this before, for some reason, this movie just hit me right. Jack and I were watching it, my son, and we were just laughing and hanging out. And it hit me just right. Something about it. Doesn't mean it's better than any movie I've ever seen or worse, but we just had fun with it. It's better than Robo Vampire. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Robo Vampire is pretty fun, too, though. I mean, if you... But 
you know the one thing i really did enjoy about um deep blood was it gave me nostalgia i connected with it a little bit because i felt like i was watching a usa up all night movie and i know that sounds like a joke but i'm serious i felt like it was like like i just got done watching hello mary lou part two you know what i mean or uh, no prom prom night two hello mary lou and then it went and then it went into Return to Living Dead Part Two. And then the last one was like, okay, we're gonna throw this crap on. And I was still up. Like I was waiting, I was waiting to hear Rhonda Shear or hear Gilbert Godfrey come on and talk about, oh, now we're gonna watch a shock ripoff movie. You know what I mean? Just so that that was cool. But wait, did you guys see though about three quarters of the way through the movie? They went back to the police station for whatever reason. This makes absolutely no goddamn sense. There was a crate, a big wooden crate standing vertical in the hallway and huge black letters that said RoboCop. Yeah. What the, what was that? Wasn't it just like a sign that somebody wrote RoboCop on like a piece of paper? No, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I sh- don't make me rewatch it. I remember seeing it, <laughs> but it looked to me like a giant crate and it said RoboCop. I don't know what that was, but yeah, it was put there for a reason. So you would <laughs> see it. It wasn't like a, you know, like that, was that going to be his next movie? Like a RoboCop ripoff or, that's our next ripoff movie. Like, we got this crate. We could make a movie out of it. It did have its heartwarming moments, though. Like, at the end, when, like, the bully helped them kill the shark, and then they're all walking down the dock, and the bully's kind of standing there at the end, and they're like, oh, come on. They're all a new group of friends now, because their other friends got eaten. The cast of Jersey Shore is complete. When the kid, his friend's killed, so he's like in his room and his dad comes in and he's like trying to, we're going to talk about this. He turns the music up and his dad's still trying to talk to him and he finally gets up out of bed and he's like, I fucking hate you. You killed my mother. You're a fucking asshole. And all this. And then he like two seconds later, he's like out of the room and he like turns around. He's like, I'm sorry, dad. I'm sorry, son. I'll make it up to you. And Jack, my son's like, that was like the quickest apology ever. Like. They were just like at each other's throats. And two seconds later, they're like, sorry. And they're making up for it. Like what, what the hell is going on here? I wonder if Joe D'Amato made this to try to break into like a television market. You know what I mean? Hey, I could, this can show during the afternoon on USA network or something in 1990. Cause no nudity, no, no, no nudity in this movie that I remember. I mean, I didn't, yeah, no nudity. No nudity, no, I don't even think there was a sexual situation. There was no gore. It was just a, a, a badly overacted mess. Yeah, it, like I said, an after-school special. The dad, the mayor is like, can I at least get a handshake, son? And he's like, dad, I'm tired. He's like, oh, okay. And then he goes and hugs him. He's like, thanks, son. Thanks, dad. And I'm like, what the? F-? <laughs> it's an after-school special. I'm waiting for like the more you know thing to go across the screen. Like <laughs> <laughs> And up next the Power Rangers, right? Yeah. I think Severn kind of set us up too, because if you compare these two movies, regardless of when they were made, if they have the same director or not, they are just two completely opposite end of the spectrum movies. You know, this, this wholesome shark movie <laughs> and, you know, 
this obscure thing from the seventies where this exploitation film where the guy's, you know, mutilating women and trying to have sex with his dead fiance. So, Oh, I'm excited to hear the rankings. So a couple of things about a deep blood before we do the rankings. Um, it's got some names, uh, Sange now Abyssi. I don't know how you say it, but it, it literally means blood in the abyss, um, and sharks and then deep blood. And, uh, the Japanese VHS cover features the shark from Jaws 4. So, again, Jaws 4, like, the cover has the sh- actual shark from that movie. Probably the best shark in the movie. And that was fun, too. Like, they're not even the same kinds of sharks. They're different kinds of sharks in the videos. Like, they couldn't even get enough great white sharks. They had to put, like, some Makos. Yeah, that one was a Mako. The one that they, they uh, showcased the most was a Mako. I, I liked how they edited it. Okay, so, yeah. The fact they were different sharks stuck out like a sore thumb, but the the movements of the sharks, you know, the way they edited everything in as far as that, it, it seemed pretty seamless. You know, nothing looked really out of place other than the fact that it was a different looking shark. I think they did the best with what they had. I wonder if they were super limited on budget. But this goes back to what I said earlier when I op- we opened the show and I said I want to be an Italian film director because I tell you what, whether it's good or bad, this is one of Joe D'Amato's. 199 director credits and that's not even getting in all his other credits in the film industry so whether it's good or bad this guy grinded it out and made a living doing something he enjoyed doing some of them were were hits and some of them were some big ass misses but he just kept going and kept doing it how do you have a hunt how do you direct 199 movies in your lifetime you know i mean your, your typical movie what was it? Uh, Beyond the Darkness or Buried Alive took two weeks to shoot. But I mean, your typical movie, especially nowadays, uh, it, it takes a year to shoot pre-production, shoot, edit, promote, release, distribute after the fact. How does this guy have 199 film credits? It's crazy. That was probably just a weekend film. He just pumps them out all the time. He's like, oh, screw it. And gets paid. He's got a Monday through Friday a gig. And then he's like, on the weekends, I just do movies. Maybe he's got a a sexually charged psychotic housekeeper at the house at home there that he's (laughs) got to keep paid. So he's like, I'll just keep grinding out some of these terrible movies and keep her quiet. All right. So so what do you guys think about a rating? So you want to do Beyond the Darkness first? Yeah. What do you think, Jason? You go first. Me first? Beyond the Darkness. I'm going to give it a five. (laughs) Five taxidermied baboons. Out of 10. I mean, I don't want to set it too high. I mean, the movie was pretty good. I mean, it was an Italian horror movie, which isn't my thing. But, you know, I, I like the story. I loved the love story. What about you guys? I don't know what else to say about it. Our, our old ladies should be afraid that we find this a love story. <laughs> like, what is what is in store for them? Beyond the darkness, I'm going to go ahead and rate it. I'm going to do... Three out of ten breast feeding housekeepers. But wait, it's not that bad because they each have two breasts. So it's technically six out of ten housekeepers. <laughs> breasts. Six breastfeeding housekeepers out of ten. So I'm gonna rate it a, a six out of ten also. I'm gonna go with a six out of ten mystery meat stews. You remember the scene where they're eating and I'm like, okay, is that what is that? What are they eating? Is it a person? Is it something he had taxidermied? Is it just beef stew? That was the grossest scene in the movie. <laughs> I could sit there and watch someone be dismembered and burned in acid and all that crap. 
and she's doing that and she's just it's a close-up of her mouth and she's just slobbering it all over the place and the sound effects and I was, this is gross and then of course he goes and throws up it, the way he reacted was she was eating you know the hitchhiker they just killed what about uh what about deep blood what do you think jason oh, okay um i'm gonna give it two paper mache paper mache sharks out of ten I kind of wanted to give it a one, but now nah, we'll give it two. The movie sucked. It was a ripoff of Jaws. The whole 20 minutes of no dialogue for that setup. Yeah, not much to say about it. We shouldn't waste much more time on it. What about you, Clint? What do you think? I'm going to go ahead and give it four out of 10 Jaws references. And the reason I give it four and not less is, again, I felt it took me back to my, my childhood where I was my, my you know mid to late teens where I was watching USA Up all night. So I had that nostalgia feeling, but I mean, if that didn't exist, I'd, you know, it'd be, it'd be a two or a three discussing or reviewing or critiquing or whatever. I always tell people a made movie is a made movie. You know what I mean? So that itself within itself is an accomplishment, whether it sucks or not. So you got to give a couple points just for that. Yeah. This movie is pretty terrible. So now if you go ahead, if you, I teed it off to you, if you go ahead and go, this is the best movie. I was Jack and I had a great time. I'm going to give it nine out of 10. I'm leaving the show. So I had started to rate it. I was like, what do you think, Jack? And he's like, I don't know. It was all right. And I said, oh, how about a seven out of 10? He's like, it wasn't that good. And I was like, uh, what about a six? He's like, well, that would mean it was better than average. And I was like, well, I mean, I, and again, I premise it with just because I like a movie doesn't mean it's better than anything else. So I ended on a five out of 10, five out of 10 jerk water crackers. That was the best line of the movie. The sheriff was like, yeah, I don't remember what he was saying, but he's like, you jerk water crackers, get out of here or something like that. I was like, that's great. So yeah, five out of 10. We had fun. I feel like both of these movies would be like awesome, like at our, our buddy Tad's birthday party or like with a watch party or in a group. Both of these would be like fun, maybe even the shark movie more like a riff tracks or something like that. These would both be great, like to do that with. You you know, Tad's gonna pick way worse movies than these. Well, last time I picked, helped pick, and it was awful. That box, you guys left. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, I had fun. We had fun with it, and sometimes that's the most you can ask from a movie is that you had a good time with it. You know, watching it with the people you care about. Uh, bottom line is served a purpose because we we talk at length about how I never stop moving. And I forced myself to sit down and stop moving for an hour and a half or whatever and watch this. So it allowed me to relax. So that was cool. Looking at both movies, what do you think about Joe D'Amato as a director? Like if you look at 1979 and then you look to 1990, it's I, I, I shouldn't even ask this question because we talk about how much the movie 1990 sucked. But do you see like any change or growth or do you think he just didn't give a shit? And he was trying to pay his bills. I kind of want to look him up and see where these fall on the spectrum that everybody else thinks. Like, is Beyond the Darkness at the very top? Is Deep Blood on the bottom? Are there better ones? I'm curious. I would look at. I would watch more movies of his, just because everybody makes crappy movies. Even like the best directors have crappy movies. What was that one? It was called Halloween Kills. <laughs> yeah, I snuck it in there. Uh, well, that was David Gordon Green. I mean, that's not like Carpenter or anything. Even though Carpenter, I'm sure, has some bad ones. So this, if you, <laughs> asshole, I just did a quick search on Joe D'Amato, and Beyond the Darkness is considered one of his better movies, like top one or two. 
I mean, he did that anthropophagus that was pretty fun. He did absurd, which I enjoyed. I mean, he did a lot of the Emmanuel, like she traveled all over the world. I watched those late night on Showtime when I was a young man. There's one called 2020 Texas Gladiators that I've never seen. Yeah, just a just a lot of looks like they would be fun like to watch with a bunch of people that enjoyed stuff like we do or maybe stuff like I do, maybe not stuff like you guys do. But, <laughs> right. I mean, it's Italian horror. It's always kind of fun. Well, I was just going to talk about Severn again. I was going to say that uh, I'm really glad that, that Brian wandered over to the Severn table and I'm, I'm thankful for them. You know, I mean, they, they said, sure, you talk about this movie and talk about us. And here you can have some free Blu-rays and DVDs. And, you know, so it gave us something. I think it's both of these movies, I think, are a first-time watch for all of us, right? Yep. yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so we found something decent that we enjoyed, and we found something that <clears throat> that Brian liked. <laughs> well, that's one of the things you were busting my balls about on the way to Pennsylvania. One of my purchases before I got to Pennsylvania was... I dropped like over a hundred bucks on Severn movies because they were having a big sale. So I was like, what? I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So, you know, again, we all go to the Monroeville mall for living dead weekend. And what happens? I see Brian and he's like, yeah, I just spent a hundred bucks on DVDs from Severn. And I'm like, the convention hasn't even started yet. Has it, you know, he just, he got there and instead of spending money at the convention, he bought movies online. Like what the hell are you even doing here? Well, they had their half year sale, and I had a, a gift card for twenty dollars off, and it was a hundred. If you spend a hundred dollars, you got free shipping. So I was like, I gotta buy some movies. I can't pass up this good of a sale. Well, and that's kind of what I was getting at, especially if you're into rare, like I said, obscure, um, exploitive films, something out of the mainstream. Check out Severn Films. You can find them. I think it's just SeverinFilms.com, but they have a massive catalog. And you are bound to find something that, like you say, is terrible and would be fun to watch with a bunch of people and throw eggs at the screen. Something that's going to like, wow, what did I just watch? This is cool. I didn't know this existed and everything else in between. They got a John Russo. Uh, I kept eyeballing it at Living Dead Week and I almost picked it up, but I'd spent so much of Jason's money doing other things. And it was called Midnight and the, the cover kept catching my eye and I kept walking by the table and I never did get it, but it looked. Uh, I looked it up and I think it's directed or written by John Russo. And so I was like, oh, well, you know, Return of the Living Dead and the Living Dead. I know John. I've got his autograph on his screenplay there, and I'm going to have to check that one out. And see if it. you wait long enough, I'm sure I'll buy it. Right? Yeah, it's kind of what, I, what I'm starting to figure out. But yeah, so, you know, Severin's got enough of something to pick through. So, Well, thank you, Severin. Thank you, Matt Hardy. We'll see you at Flashback. He said to look him up at Flashback. He might. He's a lives up by the Chicago area, so he said he'd probably be there. Should be a good time. Flashback's kind of our next thing that's coming up. Before we talk about what we are going to do, let's hear from our podcast network, the PFPN. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening.
Come on, Captain. I'm the captain of this voyage to kill this ancient shark. Let's go. What do you got going on, Jason? Anything coming up? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Nah, still still nothing. It's going to be a low-key month. The whole month of July, got nothing going on. Maybe just some little family trips, just going to do stuff. Everything's so expensive now. Got to save my money for Flashback. Got to save it for Midwest Monster Fest. That's about it. Nothing exciting for me. Sorry, I'm boring. What about you, Clint? What do you got? Hey, well, well, no, hold on, hold on, because I got some breaking news here before we get into what's going on. I just looked at Instagram. We just hit a thousand followers on Instagram. Hey, how cool is that, right? We're growing. Hey, <sighs> that's EAS. No, that's super cool, man. The thousands of milestone, and what's that? That's like a a growth of right around eight hundred plus people in just about two months, right? Thank you. I like it, spooky audience. You guys are fucking awesome. Oh, Keep yeah. it going. That's cool. All right, well, there's my breaking news segment. Um, so all right, well, by the time this episode airs, I'm going to be. I wish I was like Jason. I had nothing going on in the month of July, but I'm going to be about just about a half week out from my big uh, family camping trip up North Michigan. We go every year up to you know Green Lake Interlock in there, and I'm we're excited about that. That's the one that we all go to and we we decompress. That's the one vacation that we've rekindled the tradition I had when I was a kid, we go up there and camp on the rustic side and yeah, we go to Lake Michigan and some cool restaurants, but the phones pretty much go off and it's just us spending time together and being silly. So I'm really looking forward to that. But after that, man, it's back to back to back. So I've got uh, the weekend with the third weekend of July. I've got a convention in Indianapolis days of the dead. Then the fourth weekend in July, I've got motor city nightmares in Detroit. And then the weekend after that is flashback. So I'm going to be doing a lot of shirt stocking and still trying to find time to get to Cletus Goes to the Movies. Busy, busy, busy. Oh, you're going to be at Days of the Dead, Indianapolis? Yes. Joe Bob, Darcy going to be there? Old Pinhead, Doug Bradley, John Kazeer, who plays the Crypt Keeper. It it, It looks to be a packed con. So, yeah, I'm kind of like Jason. I got nothing going on, working. Checking out Joe Bob on Friday nights, nights hanging out with Jack. Um, it's summertime, so he's here for a couple weeks before he goes over to the. He's going over to England, and Scotland, and Ireland for vacation. Then it'll just be me and Finley hanging out and watching movies, waiting for flashback from s- watching movies from Severn.com. <laughs> there, did we meet? Do we? I think I. I think we just met our quota. We should be good. All right, good. Well, everybody, now you heard what we're up to, and we will catch you on. Don't forget to check out our socials. I Like It Spooky on Instagram and Facebook, and I Like It Spooky underscore, or I Like It underscore Spooky on Twitter. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at I Like It Spooky Pod at gmail.com. Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you the next time. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs> Hey, what's wrong with you, man? Show some fucking respect for the dead, will ya?